0: Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. In this episode, I'm going to speak with a very special guest who is a very good friend of mine. Um, Her name is Vivian. She's a Muslim woman student in science education, and she has also studied neuroscience and astronomy. So we're going to discuss what drove her to want to become a science educator and her experiences as a Muslim woman in academia, as well as what advice she has for younger listeners who are interested in any of these three topics. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on my podcast today. Um, I'm really, really excited to um, have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. This is really cool. Thank you so much for doing this, actually. So just a side note, we want to be as conversational as possible because we're kind of having like a conversation. And um, so we're going to be saying a lot of Arabic words like we normally do when we talk in our day-to-day life. Um, just like... it's, it's, it's So God. Like,
1: like God has willed it. Like you say that when if something's really nice or something's like, like wow, instead of saying wow, we say mashallah. Um,
0: yeah. And then there's and like then,
1: subhanallah. Probably going to say subhanallah. Definitely inshallah a lot. Inshallah means God willing. And subhanallah means like praise God, like, like another version of wow, another tone of wow.
0: But, yeah, and then yeah. Uh, if we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it basically just means God mm-hmm. in Arabic. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Mm-hmm. What were your initial goals as an undergrad student?
1: My initial goals, uh, I was my the payment track for, I guess, three of the four years. Yeah, I made my decision to switch over to grad school literally my last year of, of of college. And it wasn't easy just because that kind of sudden shift is not what your parents would want, Um, especially if you were like on something like medicine. And when I wanted to do grad school, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to like specialize in at the moment. I knew I liked teaching. I wanted to, I wanted to become a professor. That was my ultimate goal. And initially I wanted to do neuroscience because I loved the class. I love psychology and I thought it was just really fascinating but I was also torn because like I was doing astronomy as a minor um, my major was like in neurophys like it was uh, physiology and neurobiology for the pre-med track and then I had a minor in, in astronomy
0: you know what's really mm-hmm. cool is like you're talking about this but also mm-hmm. it was the same because for me it was like I wanted to do like engineering and mm-hmm. my third last semester mm-hmm. I also made like the switch and decided to also like I want to pursue grad school at the beginning I was also very torn that's like, I mean, very relatable you,
1: I remember I remember
0: because like you wanted to do you were on the engineering track so
1: it was kind of like the same kind of stress and you did it young which it. like you were you were pretty young when you did it and and it's the thing is like with our parents and our culture it's it's hard it's hard because if you did like you know the doctor lawyer engineer kind of thing and then you know going into like the sciences or doing I don't know like academic research kind of thing it's not as secure or it's like it's not put like on par with those other um professions so when you tell your parents last minute, I want to switch out of this and I want to get my PhD, but I don't know what I want to do it in. Like that, that does not, it's not an easy transition. It's not. It is not. I remember you also went through that. Like you had that whole entire turmoil too. Disclaimer, disclaimer, I'm not saying that like what my parents wanted was bad for me. I definitely get my parents' perspective. The idea of like pursuing medicine, it's definitely an honorable thing. Um, and you get to help out a lot of people. And I mean, sometimes parents, you know, they definitely Try to guide you to where they think is best, and most. And sometimes it happens that that is the best way. Um, but so kind of like you know. So here's the thing. Like my personal opinion is that um, regardless of what the position is, like obviously your parents are looking out for for you. Um, with our parents, it's also you have to take into consideration like where they come from. So um, back home, they're they're still really in that colonial mindset. Like there's that, that survival mode kind of thing where you have to you know how that secure kind of job to in order to be successful. And those successful jobs obviously are helpful for the community. It's not bad. But you know how they say like your fingers, you know, no two fingers are alike. And and subhanallah sometimes it wo- it does work out for people. Sometimes, you know, they tell you to go to med school and it works out. Some people subhanallah like, you know, God decides what you what 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 your talents are or gives you what your talents. Um yeah. But it was hard because I think my parents, my parents were worried for me for other reasons. Mainly because I tend to be very jumpy when it comes to decisions. Like I don't, I don't stick to one decision. Like if I get excited about something, I just like I jump the gun, and (laughs) that's not (laughs) not advisable to do when it comes to like your career, life choices, and stuff. So right now, currently, my parents are definitely a lot more accepting about what I do. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, thank God. Um, And I feel like that was the the biggest struggle that I had to deal with, was getting my parents to see that what I'm doing is actually helpful, like it's worth pursuing. And I'm doing science education now. Um, Alhamdulillah, I just got my master's this past week. Alhamdulillah, Um, I'm going on for full doctoral, inshallah, inshallah, God willing, God willing. So yeah, excited about that.
0: When you're saying you're jumpy about decisions, you're literally talking to someone who made the decision to switch my whole major and sign up for new classes and then, in, like, uh, literally three days. Yeah. And no, I was, like, no. hyped up. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, the day I told you, like, between that day, I think it was, like, a Tuesday, mm-hmm. I went to campus on Wednesday. Oh,
1: yeah, right, I, I remember. Talked to
0: advisor. Yeah, I talked to the advisor. Even
1: I, even I was, like, hesitant to, like, support you on this.
0: I was very I hesitant. remember
1: that. Mm-hmm. I was terrified. I remember that. I was terrified, man. I was terrified because I didn't know. Cause, like looking back at it now, subhanAllah, it really, it really was also kind of like what I, what I, what I ended up experiencing. Because it's like, yeah, but feel, like you definitely were a lot more like, like you, you went on it, like you went for it. Um, I think like you, had, me, you had more guts. And I did. You definitely had more guts than I did. The day that I decided to get the courage to tell my parents that I wanted to do PhD, I was expecting a quick shot down. Um, but when I, and I, I clearly remember, you just reminded me now. I clearly remember I was in the car. It was at night. My mom was driving. We were going to a friend's house for like a dinner party or something. And I told my mom, like, "Mama, what do you think if I were to do if I weren't to do medicine, but I wanted to like get my PhD." Instead, in neuroscience. That's what I said initially. Like, what if I were to get my PhD in neuroscience? And to my shock, she was really, really supportive. Like, she, she was actually more um, enthusiastic about that than the medicine and getting my doctoral degree. And if there were other factors involved, it was more of like um, the work world distress. Like, she saw me being very, um, I, I, I tend to be a perfectionist when it comes to studying and that it gets, it gets a toll on me when I put in so much effort that then I still get like really, really bad scores. Um, I, I remember really close biochemistry, <laughs> well, biochemistry. That, that was, I think that was God's sign for me to not pursue medicine because that course, I studied, I rewrote my notes, I did flashcards. I did everything I could possibly do. And I kept getting D's and F's on the top. I remember Aww. once I was in the physics building, I, I just got my final midterm for the class and it was a D and I just sat in front of the physics hall. I had, I had, it was kind of like, I had an astronomy class right after that. And I was just sitting in the hall and I was just like, I was crying in the hallway. And at that point I just didn't care. I'm usually the kind of like, I'm really shy when it comes to my emotions. I don't like crying in public or anything like that. But that day I just broke. And I kind of had like that ex- existential crisis. Like what am I doing with my life? Is this really what I'm going to be doing? I can't stand for years of this in medicine. That and the fact that like my heart doesn't take human pain. Like I, I volunteered at a hospital once and it was just one weekend. It was literally just one weekend. I couldn't handle I heard I heard a patient groan and like that was it for me. Like I, I couldn't. I couldn't. But alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, the way things turned around. I was not expecting it to be that easy. And I really do think that's like just like God guiding you to what you what what to where you fit. The science education one was a bit of a bit that was a drastic bit. My parents, when I was saying I let me do neuroscience, they're like, Oh, that's great, that's perfect, that's wonderful. But then when I was saying, no well, let me do science education, they're like, What? We didn't agree on this and that, that one that one was a big um that was a big jump a of
0: Time to everything is falling into place so tell me when you realize how much you love education um how that started and um why that changed your perspective so
1: i started i it was it was really weird i transferred to umd um my second year my sophomore year so i was a i was at a different institution my first year my freshman year and it was it was, it was turbulent it was really, really turbulent when i went to umd um my junior year I think it was my junior or the end of my sophomore year uh one of my friends uh, was teaching at a Sunday school at our local masjid um and she was saying that they needed teachers and at that time I would tell my parents like mama like you know I let me me just try this out like I don't do anything on Sundays um I'd rather do this and then my mom was like no you need to study and blah, blah blah you know the whole med school kind of thing it was it was at that time where where the science courses were starting to like amp up if it's it's difficulty, but I had confidence in myself because, up, up until that point, I was doing really, really well in the science courses. Um. Which, which I don't know. I don't know if it was maybe, maybe I, I do sometimes think I overwhelmed myself a bit um, along the years that my grades started to drop. But, but when my parents finally gave in and let me just volunteer, and it was the funny story about that is that my uncle was the one who started volunteering at the masjid. And at that point, my parents were like, no, you can't go. You're going to waste study time and you won't be able to handle it. But when my uncle went and he saw like how much like of the need the masjid really needed of, young teachers to help with the kids. He was eventually able to um, convince my parents and the parents were allowed, they allowed me to go for one hour. That one hour then became three hours. And I just found myself in a situation where I just, I looked forward Sunday school. I loved dealing with the students. I loved making lesson plans and trying to make it, um, you know, endearing in a way. Even though I had no educational background, I had no educational training. I would just like look this stuff up online. Um, So like the five E's. They usually talk about like how to engage, um, uh, elaborate. I forgot the order right now. But it's like I would look up all these different templates for lesson plans and just try to get the content across. And for the longest time, what ended up happening was that I started gaining this connection with my students. And when I when I first entered the classroom, I remember that it was just so dead. Like, the kids were just there to memorize Quran, and that was it. And they were just so bored. They would come get tested, and then they would just, like, go sit in the corner, memorize some more, and that was it. And then, so, like, for me, being someone who's, like, I tend to be very lively. I, I like it when the room is a bit alive. Even though I don't like talking that much, in in like in the central, I don't like, I don't like to be the center of attention. But I do like hearing people talk. And so one day it just got so overwhelmingly dead. <laughs> one day out of nowhere, everybody had finished their memorization, and I just got them to sit in a circle, and we started talking about um, the signs of the last day or something like some Islamic studies topic, and ever since then it, like, the discussion was so lively it was the first time I heard it some of my students even just talk and they were laughing when we were talking and then they started asking questions about other like you know faithful aspects and I think that from that moment I really became addicted I really did become addicted to just like this, this educational you know spirit that existed um And at that time, I had no intention, no intention of studying or teaching science. At that point, it was just, like, strictly, like, spiritual stuff. I wanted to become a youth counselor or youth mentor. I still have no idea how to get certified in that. Um, But if you were to ask me where my love of education started, like, it was there. It was definitely fostered in that environment. Later on, um, how how it developed into, like, science, education in particular, um, this is, now Now I'm talking like my last year, what triggered my, my my change from pre-med to grad school was there was this one class that they offer at UMD called um, Undergraduate Learning assistant. I think that class was the turning point. So we would meet, we would meet every week, um, and she would give us readings, and she would give us, like, series of learning and all that, um, of education. And then we would be assigned um, groups the lecture hall we would be there every Wednesday and we would interact with the students and um we would we had we, we would name the students off or like we would divide the students into like groups and each group had like a candy name so my candy group was Skittles and Hershey. I still remember them uh, and um we had a partner we always had a partner who um like it was two ULA's for each group for each team and there was one day I was teaching a student how to how to figure out like DNA replication you know like how it opens up how it unzips and then like all these different proteins play a role into like getting the DNA to replicate and I was just so into it and I had the whiteboard I'm drawing with all these different colors And the students were engaged, and then one of them, after I was done, made the comment was like, you should become a professor yourself. Now, I know they said it out of probably, like, frustration with the current professor, um, but that student's comment just, like, hit me like a tsunami. And it just, like, started, like, everything started just fitting in. I'm like, like, yo, I'm doing Sunday school, and I love it. I love doing this maybe I should just you know become a professor maybe I should just go into education um and I think that that was really when I got into science
0: education um I feel like I've heard majority of this before like most of what you're saying <laughs> since the beginning but it's like it's really cool hearing it over again maybe from a different perspective because I know you said this before and I was like not listening or I, I wasn't <laughs> not listening I wasn't not listening I was like mm-hmm. like, like I did yeah I say this a lot
1: I and mean, people are just like oh, okay Vivian here we go again you know you're excited about this calm down but yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's like when you it's it's hard to get that energy to like be contagious to other people. Some people
0: just really don't care. Like no, I know. No. I'm saying no, like, like, like hearing you talk about it is really was really cool. I'm saying like, <laughs> listen, I'm, I'm actually not kidding. Um, oh. but now like listening to it from like where like I can relate. Also, it's funny that you were talking about like the physics and biochem and stuff because <laughs> I had the exact same experience. I think your biochem is my master. Um, and math was also, <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding, math was, like, in the physics building, too. It was in room 1412. Oh. Um, yeah. that room. And it was oh, that wow. hallway I was, like, sitting in. I've, and I've definitely cried in that hallway before. So I'm glad we both have um, a peer of the physics building.
1: But, <laughs> <laughs> actually, what's, what's funny
0: is because what got me interested in astronomy,
1: I'm not even kidding. This is very trivial, but it just, like, it was, it was crazy. My first... I took astronomy as a gen ed and the lecture hall that it was in, it was in the physics building, but it had a rotating, you know, that rotating board, you know how like, it was? Oh a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like, I thought it was like a pun, like an, like an elaborated pun on astronomy. But the, when you sit in the lecture and then there's like that rotating, the, the professor just like literally on the other side and they flip the, um, the board with the computer and everything. Um,
0: that really got me into astronomy. It was funny. Actually, you know what's funny? For me, it was, like, I was already, like, pretty interested in, like, like it wasn't, like, a really big interest, but, like, I was slightly interested in it, and I was having trouble deciding between, like, aerospace engineering or astronomy. I remember when mm-hmm. I was talking to you, and I was like, yeah, I like astronomy, blah, 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 and you're like, did you know there's, like, an astronomy minor? And I remember that, like, so specifically because I was like, I want to do this. And you sent me the email, and I literally signed up like that day. But
1: yeah, um, I been, I been.
0: my first
1: year I was at American University, um, which is a liberal arts school. But what happened at AU is I went there, majored in biology, even though they're not very strong in it. Um, but what happened was the rhetoric that they had. I was never really exposed to this in high school. The rhetoric that they had when it came to the sciences, where it was like. It was straightforward, um, you know, like, this is what it is. This is what we found. This is the evidence that we have. And it, there was no spirituality really involved in it. And it took me a while for me to realize that that's how science is usually taught. Um, because I went to an Islamic school my whole entire life. And when we studied science, we had, we had a Muslim teacher who was a biology uh, – at, at the time was pursuing her master's in biology – And what she did, what she did was really, really helpful for us in terms of maintaining our faith and not compromising that with, like, with science. So I was raised always seeing that science and faith were compatible. I never saw them as different. I never saw, or I never saw them as separate, right? Like, you needed both to understand, to get, like, a whole picture of what's going on in the universe, right? And when I got to college, it was it was definitely, like, a culture shock for me in, in, in a lot of different ways. But the biggest one was, was the science classes. And especially when getting to the theory of evolution, I mean, it wasn't the first time that I was approached by it or, or I was taught it. Um, and when we were taught it in high school, like, we never saw it as, like, conflicting with, um, with like, our traditional way of understanding, you know, the story of creation and stuff. Um, but for some reason, for some reason, and this is the first time I was exposed to this like rhetoric of like, you know, there is this clash between faith and science, I, I, and I didn't understand where that where that was coming from. And at this at this point, I I wasn't very knowledgeable in like the scientific explanation of certain things or like scientific method, or like even from like an Islamic perspective, I didn't know I didn't know how to deal with the way professors usually taught this kind of thing. And it really caused a huge, huge faith crisis for for me. That year, I remember really clearly, it was my second semester at AU. And I just had a breakdown for six months. I literally was dancing with atheism. And it was not a place to be in. Like, if you're, if you're raised believing in God, and you've seen moments in your life where, you, like, you can, you know in your heart, like, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there, and then suddenly you're at this point where it's like you just doubt everything, and you question everything. I swear, there were nights where i just be crying in my room. Like, I had the door closed. I couldn't tell my parents, right, because I come from a very conservative family, and I knew that my parents had never had this issue. Like, my, my aunt was a doctor. My uncle was a doctor. We, I had a lot of family members in the science, but no one has ever mentioned this, like, this separation between faith and science. But the way it was taught to me in, 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 in that lecture was that there was no divine intervention whatsoever. Um, and, and nowadays, even, like, when I have to teach science, for example, I have to also abstain from talking about, like, whether or not there was divine intervention. Um, and there's a reason for that and a reason that's understandable but I, I stand by. But back then, nobody explained it to me. So for those six months, I just, I was spiraling. I was spiraling. And I and how I got out of it, it was another work of God, I swear. Like, my mom would be praying for me. And at that point, I didn't even believe in prayer. I really, really didn't. And my mom would be just, like, you know, saying her supplications. And I'm just saying, I mean, because, you know, it's what we do. But in my heart, I'm like, like, is is this really going to help anything? And there would be days, I swear, I would take the bus. I would take the bus. And there were trips that I would take the bus, and I would, like, look at the trees and be like, oh, my God, this, like, God's beauty is everywhere. And then then there would be those days where I'd just, like, drive by and be like, those trees just
0: evolved
1: from some microorganism. And how did God get involved in any way, shape, or form? Right. And then the questions evolved into the, the bigger ethical questions, right, that most people, um, most atheists have, like the, the problem, the issue of God and like, you know, um, the problem of evil. Right. Like the like, why? Why do we have to be tested? You know, all that kind of stuff. And it it really just caused a huge mental breakdown for me. What I ended up doing and I guess this is this just kind of goes into like the advice that I give for people who are also in a similar state. What I ended up doing is, like, I I told myself, like, um, you know what? I'm going to give God one last chance. And so I'm like, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Like, if, if when, like, now when I think back at it, I'm like, you know, it, it's just, it really was a surreal experience. I told myself, like, okay, I'm just. I'm going to do this one last time. I'm going to revisit everything from, with like, you know, with a new one. Um, and at this point, I even looked at other faiths. Like, I, was, I started, like, studying other religions to see which one made sense. Because to me, logically speaking, if, if we say that God exists, right, and God then, you know, based on the argument, God created everything, right, and this creation that we are in right now makes sense, right? Like there are laws of physics that make sense. There are, you know, cause and effect things that, you know, there's a certain system of how the universe functions and we can detect that. We can understand that the fact that the brain can comprehend it to me was considered just like, you know, it's just like, it's the fact that it's comprehensible and this Albert Einstein said it too, like the fact that the universe and its laws are comprehensible to the the human mind is is a miracle in itself. So in my head, I was like, okay, if God does exist, and God does create, and God did create everything, that means that God needs to make sense, a very simple argument. Like, I can't, I can't believe in something that just doesn't make sense of what I'm seeing. And so what I did, what I eventually did was, I I had a notebook, a private notebook that nobody else saw about me. I didn't want to give my parents a heart attack. And I wrote down all my questions. This was based on an advice from, uh, that, that I heard from uh, a Muslim speaker who talked about doubts in Islam. This is the other thing. Like, I didn't completely abandon the faith. Like, I still tried. I tried to get things, you know, from here and there. And I came across this video where this brother was talking about um, how to deal with doubts and Islam. His name is uh, um, Muhammad Abu Talib. And so what his advice, his advice was to get a notebook, write down your questions, and write down all your questions. Don't leave anything out. And the reason for that, what I found is because at least for my head, my brain, when you have one doubt and you have one question and you have all these other questions, what ends up happening is that your brain connects everything with each other. And so you just get into like this, you just get into this like big huge brain mush of confusion. And if you don't like clarify where your points of concern are. You just end up in this, like, just vicious cycle of doubt and, 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 and just confusion. And so it really, really helped writing out all the questions very, very clearly so that when I get one answered, it was very possible that, like, you know, other questions would be answered, which which eventually did happen. The, the advice I know what he gave is, and this is also really, really important, is that you need to seek out the answers. You can't just sit. But I did that, and then there was one more powerful, powerful, powerful advice that I heard from a different person. I forget his name. I it was, like, um, Dr. Brown or something. I forget his first name. Um, but he was an atheist. So, and this is why I was drawn to him because, but um, this particular when he was atheist before. Um, he was an atheist. He was a militant atheist. That's how he described himself. This idea of finding God was, like, for him, uh, like, impossible. He was a doctor, very respected in his field and stuff. Um, and he went through, like, one of those moments in life where it's, like, you know when people – they're ignorant about God, they don't care, but once calamity strikes and they literally have nothing else that they can do, subhanAllah, it's like within human nature to, to just like look up to the sky and ask some supreme being that they don't even know may or may not exist, right? And he went through a moment like that. Um, and as a result, what ended up happening, and, and subhanAllah, like he's, saying, like he's saying, the problem that he went through, it was miraculously solved. He called it a miracle, but he said, We made a prayer and the prayer was, oh God, if you're there, guide me, like show me, show me signs that you exist. And I swear I heard that and I just started crying because I never, ever, ever thought of it that way. I never, I never believed in the power of prayer at that moment, but then listening to that, It just like it made sense because like if god really is there and he is god right like he created everything has a connection with us and and all that like again logic basic logic then he would be that being that i would want to ask for guidance right because everyone's going to have their own opinion the idea of just asking god to guide you puts so much relief and lifted that burden off myself. Um, and and so I, that's, that's the system that I stuck to. I would just make prayer that if God was there just to guide me. And I would, you know, in Islam, Islam was taught that you can't just pray and sit on your butt. You have to get up and you have to do work, right? So you have to do your research. You have to do your homework. And you just keep knocking on doors until God opens it for you. And subhanAllah, I found myself like just going back and revisiting theology a lot more. And when you are genuine to find an answer about God that makes sense, you do find it because science and God, they're not mutually exclusive. Like science, I believe I see right now is that it it really is a work of God. And you have to have the right mindset when you're searching for God, because there are stories that exist out there that make no sense about him. And sometimes I feel that we tend to listen more to people than listen to God himself. But like I tell people, you know, let God speak on his own. Like let, give him a chance to speak because people are going to relay a lot of biased information and you can't really trust that. But when you really do leave it up to God and you do your homework, you, you find it. You really, really do find it. And I think after I after I found myself more confident as a faithful person in Allah, Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, I took it upon myself to really... I guess, get it out there that I want to help other people who are in that situation. Like to me, the idea of, you know, handling doubts, um, how to see science and faith as not mutually exclusive, right? I don't see them as exclusive. I think that there's a harmonious marriage between them and that gives you a better, more beautiful understanding of the universe. It's, it's, It's just been my, I guess, my duty right now. Like I just take it upon myself to try to talk about this more, um, Try to help people out more with their experiencing doubts with without without being too biased, because I it, it it is really, really annoying when you're trying to really get a genuine response, but you just have people out there talking about their own opinions. Islam first taught believers how to believe in God first for like thirteen years. What like right now The the biggest issue that people tend to focus more on the rules than the spirituality. So people, whenever they talk about religion, you know, this is allowed, prohibited, and if you don't do this, you go to hellfire, when that was never the purpose. Like, there's, you, we, we lost the spirituality component of faith completely altogether, Especially with, if you have parents who were raised in this tough environment, right? Like they were, again, they were in survival mode. Um, back home, everything was about order. Everything was about obeying your master, right? Obeying your parents, obeying, obeying not, not parents. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding, because they they did have it. Like child labor was a thing. Child labor was, for at least for my parents, my, my dad would tell me how they used to work in the cotton fields in Egypt. And they would spend the whole entire summer day with their backs arched over the, the plant and if they if somebody were to just like sit up to like to stretch their back, somebody literally somebody would have a whip and just like like whip them across their back. I am not even kidding. And it was child labor. It was it was it was straight up like he was saying like that whole entire day they would only get a gish. Which is basically a quarter. And so when you when you think about that, it's a harsh environment. And then when you try to translate that into a generation of today, right? Where we don't have child labor, we don't have this like harsh environment, God becomes more of just the embodiment of a threatening authority there's no spirituality left from the islamic tradition we know that the first 13 years the quran was revealed it was all about just knowing god just knowing that spiritual component understanding how much allah subhanahu kind of loved us right and why we should worship him it had nothing to do with like restrictions law and order and all that in the later years the 10 years that came after those 13 years those 10 years was about all of that and even then you know you had the exceptions and you had the understanding of why why is god doing this to me or like why is god asking this for me it's like when you go to a doctor mm-hmm. if you don't trust the doctor and the doctor tells you to do something like if the doctor's going to tell you okay i can't you cannot eat or drink for the next two days because you have a colonoscopy right and you're just sitting there and you don't know this doctor you don't know their credentials you don't know why right And you're like, what you're telling me not to eat? Like, who are you to tell me that, right? Versus somebody who knows a doctor, who knows their credentials, has respect for their profession, right? And they're going to tell you, okay, I need you not to eat or drink for the next two days. You're like, okay, that makes sense. I trust you, right? Even though they may not know what the colonoscopy procedure is. If you don't understand God, you're not going to understand the wisdom behind what he asks from us. And that is a recipe for disaster. For those who want to find God, I I probably would just, like, give them the advice that I, I followed, um, which is write your questions, ask reliable scholars, and pray. Pray even if you don't think he's not there, if you don't think, you know, the supreme being exists, just look up to the heavens and be like, if you're there, guide me. I'm doing what I can. I want to know if you really are there. Let me add one thing. Okay. So, I think for this is this is regardless of faith. This is just about science in general. I think for me, at least, it took me a while to understand this. But how we define science is really, really, really important. Um, One thing that we do in grad school is you sit down after you read the paper and you basically tear it up to shreds. Not literally, not literally, depending. But for me, when I first started grad school, I did not know how people knew all this information, right? I was kid who would read a paper and be like oh yeah I agree with this this makes sense right and then when I go to class and you have like that grad school discussion about the paper like it makes you question your whole entire life like people will, like the, I'm not even getting my first class discussing my first paper in grad school I came in all confident, like I know the material I know it even makes sense I love how the authors have approached this topic but then I sit down and then everybody Everybody around the circle were so just, like, carrying up this guy's paper to shreds. I uh, And I say this again because it was literally, like, I was sitting there, I did not know what to say because I came in assuming that when you read a paper in grad school, you agree with them. The thing is, in academia, it's like, it's always about discussion. It's always about questioning, you know. And one of the biggest things that you always question and you always analyze is how does the author define their terms? Science is one of those terms that when you read in papers, for example, or when you discuss, right, like what is science? And I think part of the reason why a lot of science education or or like just teachers in general who have to teach science they struggle, um, it's because of that understanding the nature of science. And I keep saying science can be defined as, like, natural philosophy, right? So before, before we had the term scientist, people who studied the, you know, nature and, and you know, natural phenomenon and all that, they would, they, would, they would be called natural philosophers. But the thing is, science is also about, it could be about empirical data. It could be about, you know, understanding certain laws. Like it, 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 depending on how you look at science, the definition might tweak a little bit. But one thing that teachers need to know is that science is our understanding of the universe, and that understanding can change, right? We're human beings. We're very limited in our senses. We're very limited in how we are able to understand and perceive things. There's a thing called um, inductive reasoning, which is basically you looking at clues. The opposite of deductive reasoning? Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) it's basically you looking at clues and Coming to a conclusion, right? They compare this kind of reasoning to like Sherlock Holmes, right? Um, deductive reasoning, on the other hand, is the opposite. It's like looking—you um, have a—you have a conclusion, and based on that conclusion, you try to—you try to apply it to different phenomenon. This is like this is more like Aristotle. So, for example, um, I like ice cream. I like Fatima, therefore Fatima likes ice cream. That's deductive reasoning. Science works more with inductive reasoning and we do this every day right everybody def- everybody can do scientific thinking in their everyday lives, right but the thing is with, a, with inductive reasoning is that it can also be a bit misleading we can come to logical conclusions but sometimes sometimes those conclusions are faulty for example um and this is something that one of my classmates said it was really really in- in- insightful it was incredible he said when he was in elementary school the idea of exoplanets were non-existent he was saying a very 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 like vivid memory he had of one day in elementary class in science class where they were learning about the solar system and he asked his teacher who was a science teacher who was really really well versed in the sciences at the time he asked is it possible that we will find planets around other stars like he was literally ahead of his time and his teacher flew out said no that's that's crazy like at that time because at that time we didn't have the technology available to like detect the possibility of exoplanets around other stars and stuff he was saying like his teacher was so confident in her response she's like the only planets that we know are the ones that are in our solar system there are no other planets out there and just shot him down like that now at the time because we had no data, because we had nothing to base this off of, we couldn't really just say that the teacher was stupid or that she wasn't, she wasn't doing science, right? So the idea that science is, you know, ever-changing, like it, it's always evolving, I think we need to be able to teach students that. Um, and I say this as a point because we tend to teach science in classes as like, you know, perfect fact, right? That this is what it is and that's it. It's not changing. It can't be changing. But then when you, like, go to college and, like, things change and all these discoveries are made, it really does – it it can cause a dishonest relationship between the mind and the concept of science, I feel. I feel. There's this guy named Carl Sagan. He's like, Wait, uh, I know that guy. Yeah, Wait, I, know, I, that I
0: guy. Yeah,
1: you know that guy. Yeah, <laughs> he's an astrophysicist. He's the uh... – I didn't know, I knew the name, I heard the name, but I never knew who, like, what he did, and so he's basically, he's basically the, um, he was famous for making science more accessible to the public, basically, so, like, he made it easier to communicate about science to the public, Um, and he made a lot of, he he has a lot of works that are really, really inspiring, like, if people, I guess, want to get interested into astronomy and, like, see this virtual side of things, I guess, um, he's a pretty good read. He has this quote where he talks about, like, faith and science, um, and or like spirituality and science and he straight up says that like thinking of science and spirituality as mutually exclusive does a disservice for both because you do need it and in some ways science is considered a spiritual source so for me I remember I attended this like webinar for um for the museum I had to volunteer for a museum the National Air and Space Museum
0: um oh yeah how does that go?
1: Didn't that happen beautiful. like right
0: before coronavirus started? It did
1: happen right before Corona. I only got like one session in, um, volunteering session. in. Um, what was they saying? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, so I went to I I attended one of the webinars at the um uh for the Smithsonian. They do this usually for the volunteers every Wednesday, and one of the um, topics that we discussed was how to deal with difficult questions, um, especially in the science, cause in the science museum setting. It's very very different from like a classroom setting. Um, also, also because of like the kinds of visitors that you get, um, you get really awkward questions. And um, if you're not like, like you know, it's always it's those questions where it's like, "But God said this in the Bible, or God said this in the Quran. Why does science say this?" Right. So it's like it's it's one of those um, hot spots for where debates between spirituality and science happen. And what the webinar did, what the museum educators told us, and which is really is really really refreshing to hear. Um, where they talked about, like, how to distinguish between, you know, when people assume that science and spirituality are polar opposites versus when they're, like, harmonious in nature. And somebody said something really, really beautiful where she said that science always asks the questions of how, you know, what, where, when, right? But it can never ask the why, or it can never answer the why. And that's where spirituality comes in. That's where, like, faith comes in. Because when once you ask the question of why, you're getting into like intention, you're getting into philosophy. And that's where science can't really play a strong role in answering the question. And they really handled it really, really beautifully. Um, because they were there were also atheists on um on that webinar and they were and we were having like a very, you know, a very casual um conversation. We were very respectful of each other and you know, everybody has their experiences, everybody has, has their viewpoints, but just because, the point is, like, just because science can't answer the why, and we don't know, maybe in the future, maybe science may, may be able to step into that realm, we don't know, but just because science can't answer the why portion, and just because philosophy or spirituality or faith can only answer the why portion doesn't make it insignificant, right? Like, part of the reason why human beings are considered to be really intelligent compared to other species Like we know that orangutans are very, very intelligent. We know that crows are very intelligent, but what is that distinguishing factor between humans and those other really intelligent species, right? It's like this: it's like our ability to go beyond basic inductive reasoning, because we know that other animals can reason. We know that they can do they can do actions that are, you know, based on the human logic. You know, it's rational. They do have some sort of rationality. But do, do orangutans ask about God? We don't know that. We have no, we literally have no idea if they do right? But the fact that we don't know whether or not they ask the why, but we know that we ask the why makes it a significant question. And if spirituality is our way of trying to answer that, it also makes it significant. So you can't really just disregard faith and spirituality because they don't follow the rules of science or they don't follow the methodology of science. There are some things science can't answer. And again, that's
0: okay. Honestly, yeah, I learned a lot from All what you concept. just said right now. So um, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate having you on this podcast and thank you so much for having me. It was really interesting. I never did this before. Thank you. Yeah. And I really like talking with you. And I think you have a very important, interesting perspective.
1: Really honestly, thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was it was really interesting.